Welcome to another amazing Foundaholic podcast. Today we have an amazing guest. Her name is Monica Shopikai Simmons, and she's an investment banker. What they do is they help founders, um, CEOs, and entrepreneurs raise money for their company. She's raised over a billion dollars in the past 15 years, and she's done super, super well for herself. And she's going to give you the insights into what you need to do to raise the best funds from the right investors. And it is eye-opening what you're going to learn. So let's jump into it. I'm sure you'll learn a ton I did. So without further ado, let's listen to Monica and let's enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know getting you on the schedule was tough. So totally appreciate it and thank you. Thank so, you so um, much for having me. Of course. Uh, if you don't mind, can you just tell us a little bit about you? Uh, I think first and foremost, I am passionate about supporting founders. Um, part of the reason why I do my job is because I help um, founders, uh, in my case, specifically African founders, um, seek the capital that they need for their businesses, um, to grow their business, to you know, enter new markets, um, get new people on their team, whatever the financial need is. Um, but I recognize that my job is not just to help them get funding. Sometimes it's to help them think about a strategy for their business because they usually have to come up with a really good strategy before they can approach investors. So, um, so I really enjoy my job. I always consider myself to be one of the lucky people who really enjoys their job. I, I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, when we throw around numbers like a billion, I, I feel I need to just tell people this is from my, uh, previous uh, work where I was working with large corporates. So I have had a lot of um, experience with large financial services companies and large oil and gas companies. And actually what I'm doing now, though, is where, where I feel the, re you know, the real values and the work that I'm doing, which is helping founders raise um, smaller checks um, because that's where the need is. And uh, my focus is on those founders. So from a million dollars up. Pretty much. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much a million up. That's correct. Now, one of the things you just said, which strikes me, is you help founders and CEOs with strategies to raise funds funding. Now, what kind of strategies do you help them with? And what strategies do you think really set founders apart from the rest? Because I know as someone who has raised millions myself, you know, when you approach an investor, um, they really want to, you know, they want to see that mm. you have developed your brand and a strategy that is going to lead towards success. And I'm just curious, what kind of strategies that you, what, what do you implement and what are the best practices that you've seen? I think first and foremost, when people think about raising capital, uh, I think entrepreneurs maybe underestimate what it takes to raise money. It sounds kind of simple, right? You have a really good business. And by that, I mean, you are, you, you know, you've gone from business plan to being operational. You've got a team, you've got customers, um, and you're, you know, you're, you're doing quite well. And, um, what, you know, the idea of going out to raise capital doesn't sound, um, too complicated. And, and so a lot of uh, founders feel they can do it themselves. But actually, there's a lot that goes into a fundraise. Um, I can't, you know, I just can't emphasize enough the, the value of good preparation. And, and that kind of preparation is not just talking to your team, 
about what you think you want to raise, how much, um, and who to approach. There's a whole strategy, a whole deal strategy that is behind a fundraise process, and that's kind of what my job is. Um, I, I I often tell um, you know people in the community, in the investor community, or you know in, in the kind of tech community that the value of an advisor is not just in you know putting you into contact with an investor at the end of the day you could probably find out the top five investors and reach out to them yourself but ultimately you need to sit with someone and talk through what the best way to do that is um including how much money do you really need because you'd be surprised i think you know out um in in the community people can say i don't want to raise too often so i should raise a large amount for example raising a large amount so i don't have to raise again anytime soon that might sound like a sound strategy, but actually, you know what, that cash, you're exchanging it for equity. And so do you really want to give away that kind of equity in your business when, you know, at a future date, when your valuation is higher, that same amount of equity would be, same amount of money would be equal to less equity that you're giving away. And if you think about your company being as big as you want it to be, whatever that number is, uh, 100 million, 10 million, 1 billion, whatever the value of your business, do you want to just give away 5% or 10%? You start to realize really the real value in, in thinking about what's the right amount of money. And, and I'm just giving one example, right? That's just the amount of money. But you can talk through every part of the deal, every part of the transaction with your advisor and really talk through what's important and what you need. Um, so I, I think working together with someone and coming up with a strategy is really quite complicated um, and, and takes some time. Um, I, I feel I have a lot to say, especially around your point on um, what it is in terms of characteristics that make you appealing, what makes you stand out in a room. Um, because again, that's another misconception where you think the most facts that you have, when you, you just regurgitate facts to your to your investor and think that that's appealing, actually your, your investor might be looking at other qualities. Um, there's some certain investors that I know which who, who care only about your character. So do you come across as somebody who is um, compassionate and, and do you come across as someone who is authentic? Do you come across as somebody who um, is respectful and respectable? Does your team look at you as though they're following you or are you kind of, you know, pushing your team? All these soft traits and qualities that people don't necessarily think about which investors are looking at because they're trying to figure out what kind of a you know what kind of a leader you are and what kind of a, a business you run and how you run that business and then ultimately whether that business can succeed or not so there there, there, there are lots of points quite a few points yeah no i appreciate that but let me i'm going to go back one step and then come back to this last one with as far as raising i totally get what you mean as far as Look, just try and raise that right amount. You know, raising too much at your current valuation is not too smart a move if your company is going to grow. So if as a founder, you're totally confident that once you get a little bit of an injection of money, you're going to increase the valuation of your company. So why, let's say your company is worth $5 million now, why get... 1 million at a 5 million valuation when you only need 500,000 and you can go raise another 500 or another 1 million when your valuation is at 10. So you're giving away yes. less in the future for more money. Totally get that. But how do you try and figure out what that right amount is as far as runway goes? Do you recommend people have six months runway and for those who might not know runway is the amount of cash you need to operate your business so do you need 
six months or do you recommend people get six months runway, one year runway, two year? What is your recommendation since you've done this, you know, for, I don't know, countless number of companies? Okay, so that's a very good question. Um, first of all, you should, when you go out to raise money, you should have in the bank enough runway for the process. There was a time when I would have said six months is more than enough. So if you have six to nine months in the bank of what, you know, so every company should know that they're spending um, 50,000 in cash or 500,000 in cash every month, right? They don't know what that is. So they'll know how much cash they need for them to operate for a six month period. And, and if we were having this conversation 18 months ago, 24 months ago, I would have said that's enough. The current climate that we're in has made it a little bit tricky. I'm sure people are quite aware that it's really it's become more difficult to raise money. And so having the right amount of cash is probably more in the 12, 18 month period. And, and, and what people have been doing is, you know, trying to really minimize their expenses as they're going into a fundraise process so that you can drag out that amount for as long as needed. And, and the reason why is because marketing is taking longer. So the interaction that you're having with investors and getting to a point where you receive a term sheet, agreeing and negotiating the term sheet, and ultimately getting the money in your bank account, that whole process used to take roughly four to six months, and now it's taking much longer. Um, in fact, I was having a conversation with a founder um, and some um, a couple of founders actually last, just, just last week. Um, and one of the things that came up was how long it was taking. It's about a year, basically about a year. And so you need to have enough runway for you to be able to cover yourself for that period. Um, please note that I'm, I'm talking about a fundraise process. If you are thinking about going into one and you, how much money do you need to raise, you need to know what the use of funds is, which is a, a whole different question. So a, a company or a founder would need to be quite clear about what they're raising money for. Are you raising money for tech? Are you raising money for a new product? Are you raising money to enter a new geography? That kind of thing. And so I would expect a business to approach me having a good sense of what they need the money for. What I would then do is to sit down with them and talk through what else they need. So for example, that buffer that we've just been talking about, if we think this process could take up to a year, then you want to build into that financial model a year of additional money that you need for you to be able to kind of survive the period whilst you're raising so that you don't run out of money before you kind of get to, you know, to the end of a process. So in addition to what the use of funds is, you would layer on, um, for example, what the, you know, the funds that you need to operate. You would also lay on fees because believe it or not, when you do a process, whether you have an advisor or not, you will still need lawyers. And you will still need to speak to some other professionals like tax professionals, for example. And those kind of costs need to be factored into the amount that you're raising. So it's not just use of funds. It's use of funds plus the amount of runway that you need plus the transaction costs. Once you come to that kind of round figure as to how much that you need, that will be the amount that you need to raise. And that is also linked into a conversation around valuation because as we, as we already touched on, you don't want to raise too much money and give away too much equity. Perfect. No, that that makes perfect sense. I think uh, you know, for me, when I've raised when I've raised funds, it's it's always it's always been a very interesting process because you 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 you're never sure when it's going to close. Um, you keep talking to people. You have the, all these meetings. You think it's right around the corner, and and for people listening, it's you know you, you think you're close. But then something happens, you know, um, there's a change 
in management or not your company's management, but even the, the investors, um, or mm -hmm. there's a change in the environment, you know, all of a sudden your product is not hot um, or your industry is not, is not hot and things happen. So it's always good to give yourself that buffer and that time. So That's don't good. try and raise funds when you're desperate. That's the worst time, guys, to raise funds is when you're desperate because you will sell anything for anything just to keep your company afloat. And that is not the position you want to be in. You want to be in a position where you can turn down a deal mm -hmm. and walk away with your head held up high um, and not have to just take any deal that comes your way because someone sees that you're in distress. They see your books because you do have to provide them with your books. Mm -hmm. And they need to be legitimate books. So you can't cook so up your true. books or anything. Um, and so when you approach an investor um, and you start that conversation, make sure you're not desperate. Um, that's, that's what Monica's saying. And trust me, uh, you don't want to be desperate when, when that happens. I've, I've seen investments come in and people are desperate to take whatever. And it, it mm -hmm. feels very bad, even me personally as an investor, because um, I've invested in some companies, it feels bad when people come to you and you know they're super desperate and you feel you're taking advantage of a situation. So for an investor with a heart like me, you know, those, those are just things you just don't want to do. But, you know, it's, it's a sharky shark tank world out there, guys. So, uh, you know, you always need to be careful there. That is you so true. I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, I think... Um, the, people you know, underestimate how are looking for. I think people underestimate. Sorry, please. I I agree completely, and and um, I think one of the problems that we have in the market actually is is that people underestimate how long it takes, and so they get very frustrated with the process, and then they get very desperate in the process. And then they end up giving away too much equity or too many terms. I mean, um, one of the things I wanted to touch on today really was around, you know, the, the terms that are included in a term sheet. And um, I know, you know, everyone always says, be careful. Everyone always says, never sign a document that you don't fully understand. But you'll be surprised how many people get to that point just because they finally got to that stage with an investor and they're feeling very lucky to be there. They feel lucky to be, you know, quote, chosen or selected by the investor. And so the power dynamic is actually out of, you know, out of kilter. It's not balanced. It needs to be a balanced power dynamic where you recognize that they are seeing you as a vehicle for them to make their return on investment. And so it's your partner. You're not lucky to receive the money, if you know what I mean. And so um, that, that power dynamic and the way you approach the relationship with the investor is very, very important because one of the things that we're seeing now in these kind of challenging environments is the, the investor has has to be able to communicate with you about what they want. And you need to be able to say, yes, that works for my company, or more importantly, no, that does not work for my company. And you need to be a, a kind of confident entrepreneur for you to be able to say that because nobody knows your company more than you. Nobody knows your customers more than you. Nobody knows what your team's capability is more than you. And so you don't want to be in a situation where your investor is telling you what they need to see. And then you feel compelled to say yes when you know it's not possible. It makes it very, very difficult. And so I always say, you know, 
it's it's great that you're you're getting all the attention from the investors. It really is fantastic. But always be aware of the fact that these are your peers. You know, the way you speak to your co-founder should be the way that you speak to your investors or your potential investors. It needs to be a conversation between peers. It can't be a conversation where you are grateful to be receiving the money because then things happen, yeah. bad things happen. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think there is a fine line that founders need to also cross there and not be too pompous and Absolutely. when speaking to an investor because I, I have seen, you know, so I have seen a c scenarios where um, people have been pitching to me and they just come in like, I know everything and all of that stuff. And I think it's, it's good to an extent, but you, it needs to be measured and people need to measure that attitude that they come in with because you don't want to be too boastful and too proud. But like you said, you want to come in and say, look, you're my pair. You might know a lot about my industry, um, but I'm the one, you know, waking up 24-7, doing everything. So I know a, might know a little bit more, but be very, I guess, I don't want to say confrontational because that's absolutely wrong thing, but you want to be upright and um, direct in a pleasing way and let them know. If they say something that you don't agree with, let them know, hey, you know what, we've tried this, or I know this, or um, a mentor tried this, and, and back and forth. Mm -hmm. So you can have that discussion so they can see that you truly an, are an expert in that industry. And I do think it plays a huge role when you are pitching to an investor and they see that you do have some confidence um, mm -hmm. in potentially pushing back a little bit on some things that may, they may be saying that you don't feel is accurate because the last thing you want to do is be a yes man yes 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 everything you say yes 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 you're yeah. right you're right you're right <laughs> because you want money you're like yeah yeah I, I will change the name of the company tomorrow i will change yeah. the name of my child <laughs> to your name tomorrow no no tomorrow, just for your yeah. money yeah and and you you don't want that you you want to show them that you do have some expertise in in the industry um yeah moving forward yeah and i think that balance ca it can't be underestimated honestly it's it's that's what comes through in a pitch actually so you know we we're talking about what in the room you know kind of gets you get the, gets the investors to say you know this is our guy or this is our company this is our girl right this is this is the right one it's it's demonstrating that kind of balance in the room they want to know that you are able to say hey, look at how amazing my team is and look what we're doing. And at the same time go, oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. You know, thank you so much for that input. That balance is very important and they can see it. And so, you know, not enough is said about the actual character of the entrepreneur in the room. When, when you're in the room, you, people want to see that you are a, a realistic person. So don't come in with hockey stick, bad, you know, What's your revenue going to look like? It's going to be 20 million in two years. Don't, don't, you know, that kind of thing. You need to be credible. You need to be measured. You need to be, you know, proud of your team. You need to be proud of your accomplishments as a business to where you are now. You need to be humble in saying, I'm here and I, I don't know everything. And yes, you've seen a company like mine. What have you seen? 
you know, but at the same time, still be able to say, you know, maybe that's not going to work for us. Or, you know what, I think we will try that. It's, it's, um, I know, I know it, it always sounds like you're just going in to speak to an investor and you're just going to get the money and that's all you need. You're going to walk out the door. But there's just so much that, that goes within fundraising. And there's so much that, that, you know, that goes into picking the right investor because, you know, the right investor may not be the investor that's going to give you the highest valuation. The right investor might actually be someone that you work really well with. The right investor might be the one that introduces you to the right customers that, you know, gives you access to the right content, whatever it is, you have to determine what it is that your business needs. And in comparing, you know, these different offers that you might have uh, or deciding who's going to be your lead investor, these are the things that play into it. It's all the soft, non-financial things that really matter. Um, and, and it's the things that people don't really talk about, right? You, you just assume you're going to go for the highest valuation and you're going to go for, you know, the, the biggest brand investor. You want to get the best brand investor. It's, it's not necessarily the case. Um, you have to think about the specifics of your company and your personality and whether you can work well with this person for the next three to five years, which is how long they will be involved in your company. And if it's the lead investor, they'll be on your board. You'll be seeing them every month or so. And uh, it will be good if you got along because you're going to have to work together for the next three yeah. to five years. It's, it's, it's a marriage. What, what I tell people is it's a marriage. So you don't, you don't date because you see a pretty person on the street, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to date them and marry them, you know? Um, so you need to get to know them first. So you have to go through the whole dating period. And just like most people could probably attest to, you can meet somebody and say, oh, no, no. You know, the first date, you're like, nah, not going to work out. Same thing with an investor. If that investor is one where, you know, the conversation isn't going well, they're being too pushy and all of that stuff, and it doesn't flow with your vibe, mm -hmm. just like that first date you had, we've all almost all had really bad dates at least once in our lives. And if you haven't, ooh, congratulations to you. Lucky you. But mo yeah, lucky you. But most of the public, uh, most of the world, they've had bad dates. So. The fact that you're in a room dating someone or, you know, consider this pitch being the first date. If you see that there are things about the person um, and the, the institution or the group that you're meeting with that doesn't feel well or feel good, you know, it's probably not going to be the best relationship that you're going to have. And yeah. like you mentioned, this is long term. So you're dating to get married in this scenario. You're yeah. dating to get married. So if you're not seeing this date go well, probably don't marry this particular investor. Uh, Absolutely. Um, guys, I'm, don't, don't misquote me, guys. I'm not saying marry your investor. <laughs> I'm just saying don't, don't, get, don't get funding from them because uh, like Monica, you just said, you will see them for the next many, many years. That's um, right. And some of these dates, mostly if you're in a, get a PE funding, these are 10-year dates, you know, That's so 10-year marriages um, because these institutions are in for the long haul. Uh, so, you know, you'll be seeing them, you know, and they'll be calling you crazy That's time right. today. That's you'll right. See them. So if you're not, you know, if you don't feel that vibe, guys, that, that's not because I think what people miss out too when building companies is they don't realize this person is going to be in their life for so long. Um, you know, so this marriage between you and the investor is going to take years and years. Let's just go with five to 10 years. Um, they'll be calling you all the time. And 
if you're not feeling the vibe, you're not going to be happy. So you're not going to be happy for five, ten years. Is mm, it it's a long time? Money? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's like getting married to somebody that you know is not the right fit for you, and yeah. you wake up by that person every day, and you're like, ah, <laughs> why did I marry you? This is the last <laughs> thing you want to do. Literally, you turn your head. Oh no, you're here again. They're still there. Yeah, and I'll be here for the next five, <laughs> ten years. Snap, snap, snap. And then everybody's getting upset. Like, you did this to yourself. So be very careful about the investors you pick because uh, it, it could get bad. I agree. It could get bad quickly. Very quickly. And there are plenty of stories of, you know, entrepreneurs falling out with investors and it just gets really ugly. I mean, this is the stuff that ends up in the news about boardroom drama. I mean, and it's at every level, whether you are a small startup and in fact, I'm sure there are people watching this right now that have fallen out with their co-founders and the co-founder is no longer a co-founder or is a silent co-founder because you're no longer talking. These things happen. And so it happens with your investors. It happens. And so where you have a chance to actually get to pick who to work with, then try and pick the right person that you can work with. Because remember, the tougher things are, the more you have to talk. Right. So, so Chris is right. You're going to be having a call every day from your investor when things are tough. When it's a tough time, you will talk every day, not once a week, not once a month. When things are tough, you will talk every day. So make it someone that you can actually have a conversation with and, and, and be able to solve problems together. So, um, that's a top tip. I think that's a top tip in just thinking about who is the right kind of uh, investor you want to work with going forward, because that does matter. It matters more than the valuation that you get. So if we're talking, you know, I mean, obviously we're not talking about the difference between a hundred million and, you know, but if you just look at the difference in invest in, in, in the valuations, you have to weigh that out together with whether you get along and soft skills, right. And whether you can work together and how well you can work together. Um, I think that's very, very important. Um, and people, and you know, entrepreneurs need to think about that. Um, yeah. I think one and of I, the, sorry, just one, one thing I, I promise you, there are people out there saying right now, oh, I don't care if they give me 10 million. I don't care if they're the oh, worst you person, say that now. you know, if they're so ugly, I don't care. 10 million, man, I'm going to, man. <laughs> If you're that they person say that saying now. that to yourself, dude, uh, you you Do are not missing under- out. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, is you're... so true. I think so Don't... too, and that's yeah. part of that dynamic we're talking about, right? So yeah. Yeah. you know, you think you just want the money, you don't, and in mm-hmm. fact, you just need to speak to someone who got the wrong money. Yeah. to know that there's such a thing as the wrong money. So it, it is a very real thing and, and you absolutely need to be aware of it. Um, one of the th- other things I wanted to say is, well, you know, you, you gave that analogy of like the, the dating, right? So you're out there and you're talking to different investors. Be aware that some of the investors are not who they say they are. Which again is like dating, right? There's all this, you know, when people Ooh, are... You're getting some juicy stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> They're not who they say they are. That's the word. Catfishing in the uh, investor world. In the investor world. So they say they're investing. They're not. They don't have the funds to invest, but they're out in the market saying so. Or they know full well that you don't meet their investment criteria right now, but you might be a good prospect for three to five years from now. So they're just scouting, but they're giving you the impression that they're interested. So you are wasting your time 
and their time to an extent by spending time with investors that have no interest in truly investing in you and they won't do it. So you'll have all these situations where you're talking to investors with no money, investors who are not able to invest in you because you've got the wrong criteria and you think you're doing well because you're speaking to 20 investors or 10 investors and they're having second meetings and they're in your data room and they have no intention of investing and you need to be very careful about these investors. Um, I have actually come across investors who will in, you know, pretend to have an interest in a company because it is a competitor to one of their portfolio companies and they're trying to figure out if you're a true threat to their, to their portfolio company. So just be careful about who you are you know, interacting with, who you're dating with, because you know, it, it, it actually it could be um, you know, not, not necessarily above board. So be careful. So the way to, the way to prevent yourself from, and let's just, guys, let's just go with the term catfish, investor catfishing here. So the way to prevent yourself from an investor catfish is how? I mean, other than researching that company and exactly. what investments they've done. Exactly. Is there In fact, anything I'll else? I was actually going to say that that's what you do. That's why the the kind of quote dating process is is a two way street, right? Just like in real life dating, mm-hmm. you have yeah. a two way street. They're finding out about your company. You need to find out about them. What is their investment criteria? One of the questions I like to ask when I'm speaking to an investor is, so what is your process? So we know what happens next. What does it look like when things are progressing? So do you have two meetings, then you have an internal click, you know, uh, maybe a first level IC, you know, which is like um, an investment committee where I think two or three members of that that investor company, they make a decision that, you know what, this is a good one. We're going to, let's continue to see more and see if we will put money into them. So these like stages within the process tell you you're progressing. Otherwise you could just have multiple meetings and things don't actually progress. So you need to know what does progress look like for you so that you can say, oh, you know, we're progressing with that investor because last time we spoke to an investment manager, now we're speaking to the investment partner. Next, they're going to pull together a report that they will take to their top partners and then they'll make a decision as to whether we're moving forward or not. But you you want to know that going in. Um, one of the things that I always say is everybody should have an advisor because I'm an advisor and I think there's a lot of value in having an advisor. I would say that, Absolutely. I would say that. Um, but the advisors, typically we know which investors have money because we know which investors are raising capital. So we know whether the investors are raising and investing or whether they've just had a close. And so, you know, they now have a fund that is available to kind of deploy funds. So that's the kind of information that you would get from an advisor because I'm working in the community and I know, or at least um, have first or secondhand knowledge of which investors have the money and are able to deploy. Whereas if you are not doing the raise yourself, you may not know. And so you might be speaking to an investor that doesn't have money, but you, you would not be aware of that. So um, there are a few things that you can do to find out about what's going on with the investors. It sounds good. I, I'm going to go back to the whole dating analogy because I've, I've used that to, to talk to, um, as I mentor uh, founders all over the world, I've used this analogy and I think you're bringing up some really good points but i would say you know you meet the person so you meet with the investor and i'm just going to put this in the context of dating because almost everybody who's listening to this unless uh, you're a, a little one has gone through this process so you're going to date the person first um yeah. so you're going to meet the person yeah. 
and then you're going to date. So you meet, everything goes well, you're going to start dating. And like Monica said, you want to make sure there's some progression. So you want to find out what is the path to an engagement, right? Now you can use engagement in two terms. In this term, in the dating world, we all know what that is. You put a ring on it, you know, Beyonce type thing. You'll want to do that. <laughs> so what is the path to putting a ring on it? You know, um, and this is them presenting you with the ring. They're, they're the ones with the money. So don't, don't make right. a mistake and you give them the ring. That's you giving up your company. We don't want to do that. That's so right. what is the process for them to give you a ring to put on your finger? And yeah. then from there, we're going to have to meet the parents, right? Let's do this the old way, right? Old let's fashioned meet the parents. way. So let's meet yeah. with other people in the organization. Now, if this, if this process isn't going through, dude, you're wasting your time with this person, right? So you're going to yes. meet, with, meet with the family, all of that stuff. So they, they put the ring on it. Now we're going to meet with the family. And after we meet, met with the family, we're going to get married. And yes. when we're going to get married, we're going to have all the amazing musicians. Anyway, I, I digress. When we a get contract. married. You have a contract. a contract. That's we're going to have, have a contract. Yes. yes. We're going to get a marriage <laughs> yes. contract. Now, before you get yes. the marriage contract and you start thinking about how that contract is going to look like, because, you know, you you don't want to give away everything. You know, you need to talk to a lawyer and, and all of that kind of stuff. So yes. follow, think about everybody that's listening. Think about this in that term, that whole relationship. And if you don't see it going anywhere and you want to do background check, right? You don't want to marry yes. somebody with that's, yes. that's cuckoo and crazy because, it's you know, if you marry cuckoo crazy, you're going to be cuckoo crazy too. Yeah. And then you're going to get divorced. And then when you get divorced, it's going to suck for everybody. But yes. you mostly, because this is your first divorce and yeah. they've divorced people all, they divorce people every day, you know, yes. but it's going to be your first divorce. So it's going to suck for you. So yes. everybody listening, just follow that process and um, I'm sure it'll, it'll work out. I, I do want to talk about one thing that you did say in the very beginning that was about yeah. character. Yes. When somebody comes into the room and presents and pitches and all that stuff, you did say character is, is really important. It I matters. have a question for you. Now, if this is my first startup, I've never done this mm -hmm. before, um, and I'm going in all gardens blazing, you know, my history doesn't show that, you know, I've, I've done anything amazing. What mm -hmm. are the things I can do to enhance my view or enhance the view of the, uh, the investors on me? I, you know, I've, I've advised people to get mentors and a good board yes. to back them up so they can, you know, bounce ideas off. And, you know, if you say yes. a board member is blah, 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 you know, um, if you say, for example, your board member is Richard Branson, you know, hey. That's <laughs> hey, amazing. Yes, that would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. But what, what are the tips you have for people who, you know, they just don't have the, that's, you know. They don't have that uh, resume or, or behind. Yeah, this so the, so the whole pitching process is a, is a is a thing, right? It's a it's a big thing. It's a process. Um, but the first thing I need to say is your investor deck is not your pitch deck. I think I, well, let's just start there. So don't take your twenty slides mm -hmm. into a meeting and say I'm going to pitch with twenty slides. Let's let's just first and foremost. Okay. That's the first thing. So you've okay. got to cut down your twenty slides into six or eight slides. That's the you know, step one, then you need to be able to communicate all the key parts of your business 
in that meeting in 15 minutes. And the reason why is because you're likely in a 30-minute meeting. Now, I don't like this. When I started work, did we say 15, 20 years ago? However long it was, I'm old, right? But however long it was ago when I started doing this, um, everyone was guaranteed an hour. You would always have an hour of an investor's time. You had time to explain things, give the background, the reasons why, all these things. You would have the Q&A. There was lots of time. At some point, meetings got to be 45 minutes. And in the last couple of years, it's become 30 minutes. So in 30 minutes, you need to nail why you exist and why you're going to do great and who are the people who are going to execute this plan, right? That you've got to say those three things in those 15 minutes so they still have time to ask you questions. So it's very tough. And so the key to that is that you need to practice, okay? I have to say this. If you have had a chance to be in any kind of an accelerator, if you've had a chance to enter a competition, even if it's just getting your mentor, your peer, your friend, your spouse to listen, practice, get your pitch down to 10, 15 minutes and get all the key points that you need. If you're working with an advisor like myself, I would hold your hand and we would have sessions where we would practice to make sure that we're nailing the points that when you're in the room, you get all the points that you need, right? So that ticks the box for facts. These are the facts. This is the stuff that you need to, you know, say for you to be able to communicate what your, your pitch is about. The rest of it is style, right? Much is made about how, you know, if you are a CEO who did an MBA abroad, right? You did an MBA in the UK or in the US, you style. What's the style of communication? How do you speak? What are you saying? How are you giving, you know, what kind of examples are you giving? That's the kind of stuff that you, you don't necessarily appreciate unless you're in the room. So if you're an investor and someone comes in and they say the exact same thing or the, it's the same business, it's the way they say it that really gets you. It's the way. And that's why there's so much emphasis on style and storytelling. And so, again, it's something that you need to practice or at least think about before you walk into the room and say, hey, you know what? This is me and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. Um, I talked a little bit about character and the way that that comes out. Um, a lot of it is the words that you use. Is it we as a team that we're doing this? This is what we are solving. Um, that kind of approach. Again, asking questions of the investor, how you respond to the feedback that they're giving you. Those are kind of characteristics um, as in, you know, who you are that comes across in the meeting and making sure that you are listening as well as speaking is something that they really care about. So don't don't talk on over your, your the, the invest the potential investor when they ask you a question. You know, don't say that's a silly question or, you know, be respectful of their time, be respectful of what they're asking you and speak clearly, as clearly as you can and as briefly, you know, short and concise um, so that they can hear exactly what you're saying. Um, and I know it's a lot of information, especially for a 30 minute meeting, but I promise you, it really does matter what you say and how you say it. And thankfully for both of those, you can practice. You can absolutely practice. Yeah, no, there, there are quite a few uh, styles that or techniques that people can use before going into an investor meeting. I've used them myself, and I've advised people to use them. One, a very simple one, is a gorilla, a gorilla stance, and that's where you go into the bathroom before you meet with an investor. <laughs> I don't know if you know this one. You go into a bathroom, um, 
do your thing there first because you don't want to, you know, be so tense. You have <laughs> I say, excuse to me. go in, go to the restroom. <laughs> and while you're yeah. in the restroom and standing and stand in front of the mirror in the restroom, hold your arms out wide, like as far out as they go and hold your feet out wide too, you know? So just holding it out wide. So now it looks like you're an X almost. So everything is out wide. And then you breathe in, breathe out. And then just you can say a few words of affirmation, or you can get a quick prayer is always a fantastic thing. But yeah. words of affirmation, yeah. stuff like "I can do this," "This is going to be just fine," "I know my stuff," "I got this," you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. A quick, a nice quick prayer is always good. And then you go in, then you go into the meeting. And another thing that I, I, I advise people to do is there have been. People out there saying, you know, don't look at people's eyes, look at the wall. Um, if you can't look at someone's eyes, you can look at their forehead and you will be fine. <laughs> if you have an eye issue, forehead is fine. It works. But if you can look at people's eyes and try and make sure you look try. and talk to everybody and just, you know, put you, you know, just make sure you're not just focused on one person. Like if you know, hey, this is the only main guy or girl um, or lady. Don't just focus on them. Focus on everybody in the room and, and talk to everybody in the room. I think that those helps are, certainly. Those, yeah, those those are techniques because uh, the last thing you want is for somebody to say he didn't, he or she didn't even look at me, you know. And I am I nothing? Yeah, you know that, that's that's not yeah. that's not what you want. So those are some interesting and interesting techniques. And, and no, those are good tips. Those are really good tips. Um, and, and, you know, since, since COVID, a lot more of these meetings are happening like we are doing right now, speaking online on video. And so, you know, thinking about what's in the background, whether you have sound in your ear, things like that also matter when you're thinking about giving a pitch on, on screen, um, recognizing who's on in the meeting when, when they're on screen. So you know exactly who you're talking to. Um, and and they are little tips, um, that work, you know, when you're also on, on video and you have, you know, things to say. And, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very tricky. I mean, like I said, it with, in my job, I, I try and coach my clients because they're so different. People are very different. Some people talk too fast. You ask them to slow down. Some people talk too slowly. You ask them to speed up. Some people are very lengthy. They use long sentences. You ask them to keep it short. Some people are too brief. And then you ask them to give a little bit of an explanation. So it, it's really, you know, personal style, trying to make your personal style work for that situation, especially because you only have 15 minutes of attention before, you know, and, and uh, there's a saying, right, that people only remember three points. So you've got to make sure that at the end, they know what you've been trying to communicate. And don't be scared at the end to say a reminder of these three points so that they know what it is that you're trying to say about your business. Um, there's, um, I think there was one of a, a TikTok that I was looking at the other day where someone was saying that, you know, when you, when you think about how you're communicating with someone, make it so that it's something they remember, right? So, so, you know, we are the Netflix of Africa, right? We are the, you know, something that they will remember when you've walked out of the room. So they don't go, oh, I think it was something in the video space. It was something. Make it so it's something that they know, right? Jumia is the Amazon for Africa, that kind of a thing. Name it so that people know what you are immediately. And then you can kind of, you know, refine it, but give them a good sense of who you are in, in, a, in a brand that people kind of know. You know, don't be scared to do that. 
Yeah, I've yeah. I actually, um, I have a book I wrote called um, From Pitch to Close. And I mentioned stuff like that because it's, you want to have two points. Uh, you want to, one, have a fantastic story that people remember. So you need to nail down your story. You need to have Absolutely. a fantastic story, one minute long that people can relate to and means a lot to you. So yeah. one is you have to have a fantastic story. And two, like you said, comparing yourself, because we all have competitors. I don't care who you are. You have a competitor because before your company came into being, people were doing whatever it is that you're doing some other way. So you have a competitor. So if you just created a flashlight, guess what? Your competitor to the flashlight is the candle. So, you know, there, everybody yeah. has a competitor. So compare yourself to a competitor and then say, but we are this. And then this is how you can differentiate yourself. So, you know, we are the this of this world, but we do this differently. Exactly. That way people exactly. can connect the dots super quick. And you're not there explaining yourself, you know, forever and ever. Exactly. I agree. I agree. That's, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th so the next question um, I have for you is about the, the biggest challenge, um, challenges that you see and opportunities that you see out there since um, you're, you're basically oh in the industry. Well, that's a big question, um, mainly because there's so much going on right now. There is, um, there's a lot that's going on. It's a, it's a very challenging time for, for founders, for, for, for businesses. It's a very tough time. And that's whether you are uh, in Nairobi or you are in New York City. It's just a really difficult time everywhere in the world right now to be a founder. Um, the, you know, the macroeconomic situation is, is challenging. Interest rates are high. Inflation is up. Um, and that's just macro. There's a couple of wars going on, you know. Um, in Africa, there's always a currency devaluation situation, which is not just a Nigeria or Kenya issue. It is across the continent. Um, regulation is always coming up. I mean, you know, we like it when we celebrate when when we hear that, you know, for example, Kenya has got a, a startup, um, a new kind of startup um, law, which is supposed to make it easier and give tax breaks to companies. But but again you're always dealing with the changing situation. And whilst a certain amount of change is expected when you're doing a business, it, it really gets to be quite uh, difficult at, in times like now when things are a little bit tricky. And so um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom around how much money was raised in Africa 2023 um, because it was down significantly from 2022. Um, and, and so the question is what happens in 2024? And so what can, can you know, um, entrepreneurs look forward to or not look forward to? What's there to fear? Um, I'm sure you've been following the press as I have and some of the businesses have folded. And it's been really difficult to see that because you know that there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears going into these companies. And, you know, I, we wish we could save every one of them, right? Nobody wants any of these companies to go down. But I always say when it comes to Africa, you're failing up. No matter what, you're failing up. Because I can pretty much guarantee you that the entire C-suite or the leadership team of every single one of those companies that's folded, every single one of those guys is going to try and set up a company of their own because the ideas, what they will have seen, the skill set that they have is really important for, you know, not just for their little ecosystem, but across the board, it helps African businesses. Um, you know, um, 
Sweden is a good example of where you can see that uh, if uh, one company goes down, uh, five sprout up. Uh, everybody talks about Nokia. Nokia didn't do so well in the mobile mo- um, mobile phone sector, but from it sprouted five or six companies, two of which are unicorns, that kind of a thing. And the same will be happening in Africa because we've, you know, historically had skills shortages. And now we have a chance where, you know, five, four or five guys that were the leadership team at a fintech in, for example, Nigeria, now know everything that there is to know about operating a fintech. And honestly, I would be shocked if three or four of those didn't all go and start their own fintech in that same sector and try and do, you know, do more. And that knowledge that they will have gained from that business that didn't work out is invaluable. They are much more bankable and much more backable um, as a founder who has had experience than someone who's just started it and come up with an idea. And so I actually think that it's really good for, for, the, for the ecosystem as a whole um, because we are going to have all these founders starting new businesses and they all have previous experience and having been in a startup. So that's the first thing is the fact that I think that the future is bright. Um, the demographics for Africa are, you know, it's kind of speak for themselves. I think um, there's stats out there by 2050 or something. I think one in seven human beings on the planet is going to be from Africa. And so, you know, the market is growing. Um, and one of the things that I've never liked about the way that we do tech invest- investing, or just generally investing on the continent, is this concept of like trying to grab market share as though it's a scarce commodity. We don't have that problem in Africa. We really don't because it's a growing market. And because of that, I think the focus which has historically been with investors around trying to put money in series A, series B, series C to try and capture that market share. I don't think that's a formula that necessarily works or is needed in Africa. In fact, what we need are investors who are patient. So maybe instead of trying to get that company that's going to be, you know, the next unicorn um, or the next company that does the next series A, B, C, D round at like hundreds of millions in valuation or hundreds of millions of money that's been raised, maybe we should consider just, you know, being profitable, right? So you're a company that starts out and you're profitable. So bootstrap until you need the money. And I mean, need the money, not want the money, not prefer to be a little bit faster, but actually you're a profitable cash flow positive business. And then you need to grow a little bit. Then you get a little bit of money to grow a little bit because there's no need for you to be trying to grab the market because it's a growing market, if you know what I mean. And so I think just changing our, our view on what's needed for, for businesses to actually grow on the continent is, I think we need a little bit of thinking around whether the model that we have currently where investors are just, you know, I said handover, right? So they do three to five years and hand over to the next investor, three to five years, hand over to the next. I don't know if that's necessarily the, the profile that Africa needs. I think we need to rethink how we do our investments. And that's from the investor side and from the business side, because you just need to be a profitable business that is growing. You don't have to be the next unicorn in the next five years. You really don't. I think that's a a model that's not necessarily suited to the demographics and the growth prospects for Africa. Um, I mean, I I care about this stuff passionately. I could talk about this for a long time, but I just wanted to give a broad stroke on, on, on what I feel about how how things should be given where we are now because you know the companies that are 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 failing they have excellent ideas but they they were raised on this raise and burn right raise capital burn capital raise capital burn capital and when you you are no longer able to raise capital the company collapses meanwhile the tech is good the concept is good and actually what they needed was patience 
to just grow a little bit slower. Take your time. Smaller team, take your time. You don't have to be in a new geography in the next three years. Just take your time to build and establish your business. Be cash flow positive. Maybe have a path to EBITDA positive, right? So where you are, you know, you're a profitable business. Have a path and walk slowly towards it without having to rush and be boosted by, by investor capital. And um, I will add to that. So I agree with, with everything you've said. Um, I do think one of the things that people need to, or founders need to focus on is as they're building their company, um, instead of looking for investors, as you mentioned, just try to become profitable. A very quick path to that is partnerships. Many companies and many entrepreneurs try and do it on their own. There is no need. There, mm-hmm. There's no need to try and just say, I'm going to do this on my own. I mean, it, yeah, I don't know who necessary. you're trying. Yeah, I don't know who you're trying to prove anything to. Um, what you're going to end up with is no company. And then what have you proven? You've proven that you, you know, you're unable to run a company. But if you get the right partners, yeah. I'm saying, and right is in exclamations. If you get the right partners, you can literally take your company from A to G rapidly and you don't have to go and get an investor you just get the right partner get the Mm -hmm. right contract in place with that partner Mm -hmm. you can do a lot so to your point and to the people listening it is extremely important to get the right partners um as you're growing your company that way Mm -hmm. you don't have to always be seeking investments because the right partners will help you grow the right market share and the right market mm-hmm. share will bring the right customers and the right customers will pay the right money um, for your business, the product, or service. And that is a strategy that most people ignore because they try and do it themselves. They try the marketing campaign themselves. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, we're going to do this. Look, if you get the right partner, they can send the email blast to their 2 million subscribers for you, you know, you don't have to go and try and find 2 million subscribers at a customer acquisition cost of $2 each. That's yeah. going to cost you $4 million. When you yeah. can just partner with somebody and you know let go of maybe $25,000 in products, and now you have access to their million, you know, their 2 million subscribers and by just running a deal with them. So um, I do think uh, people should look at partnerships as a path to growth instead yeah. of investments. So um, yeah, so that's that's my my input. We are unfortunately coming to the end of this amazing um, interview and podcast with you, Monica. But it has been a blast. Um, thank you for sharing your wisdom with everyone. I'm sure uh, people will will be just trying to get a hold of you, and um, <laughs> I'm I'm sure. You know, we'll we'll put somewhere um, in in the um, information on this podcast. We'll have a link to your uh, your LinkedIn profile, so people can thank you and can reach you that way. But I don't know if you have any last words of wisdom of that wisdom. you want to bestow. <laughs> yeah, you want to bestow upon us all. Uh, listen, parting words is just. Get some help. You don't have to do it yourself. It's it's actually similar to what you said, Chris. So, so I think don't think that you are alone, right? So you don't have to do it yourself. And even if you are 
in, in in a small town somewhere and you have this idea and you want to discuss it re- if you have a phone a mobile phone get a hold of me on linkedin and we can have a conversation because i think um there there're just certain things that you 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 should talk through um and so i'm more than happy to discuss i i i always have time i always say I always have time for founders. Um I'm really quite excited about what what people are doing. Just so much potential, so much creativity. Just I I feel we have so many problems to solve and we can and will solve them on our own. We just need the opportunity and so um I'm always my door is always open. Um and I'm more than happy to to help people. You don't have to do it yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. You don't have to do it yourself. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And um speaking about not having to do it yourself, there is a platform um I'm working on called Founder Centered. Um it's founderscenter.com. Please check it out. It's the platform is being developed to do what we just said about connecting people and creating partnerships. So, um subscribe to the platform, check it out and it will help you grow your company because the platform is literally all about connecting founders with people who can help founders grow their company. So with that I'm going to um close out close this out. Thank you so much Monica for your Thank time, you. your wisdom, your experience and sharing that with all of us. I know many people are going to change their attitudes and their way in which they see investments and in which and the way they approach an investor because of this mm-hmm. so um thank you so much for that thank you. and to all those listening till the next podcast thank you for joining thank you for listening stay hungry humble and never forget it all ends well stay blessed thank you for listening to the podcast before you take your brain on an amazing journey applying what you just learned here is what the lawyers are forcing me to tell you and you know you have to listen to the lawyers so here goes this podcast is presented to you solely for educational and informational entertainment purposes only i'm a serial entrepreneur as you know it and i have a ton of personal experience in the school of entrepreneurship and hard knocks but i am not a licensed teacher therapist and this podcast is not intended as a substitute for you to get more information and absorb more from other people in fact i encourage you to always learn more and seek out various viewpoints and opinions from people you trust and people who want you to succeed remember it all ends well with faith stay blessed and humble to learn and i'll catch you on the next episode take care